We're continuing in our series in 1 Kings. Today we're in chapter 21. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 uh, for us this morning. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Nahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, It is good to be with you all this morning. And I always like to say before I preach that I do truly consider it an honor to be in front of you this morning and open God's word. Um, Yeah. And so pray with me before we begin. Lord, we thank you that you do speak to us, and we thank you that you are here, um, that you are in our midst, um, and that your spirit is working in our hearts. And so, Lord, I do pray that as we hear your word, that we would be challenged by it, Lord, that we would um, not just be hearers of it, but that we would walk out of here being doers of your word. And so, Lord, I pray that as we um, get together, hear what you have in store for us, Lord, that we would truly have ears to hear. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1994 movie, Forrest Gump, we are introduced to Forrest and Jenny. And the movie begins by giving us some background of Forrest and Jenny's life, right? And we know that Forrest has some form of mental illness, but learns as a little boy to use his legs to run, which we get the famous run, Forrest, run, right? And Jenny. I mean, who doesn't love that little girl? She is the only little girl who lets Forrest sit right next to her in the school bus. And we also learned that Jenny, she, she went through some mistreatment right, some abuse from her father. And as the movie progresses, we, we see how Forrest is just in love with Jenny, and he's going to do whatever it takes for her to know that he just loves her. But, you know, she, we know she gets involved with other men, right? She gets, you know, into some deep, deep things with drugs and just lives a life that you just feel really sad for her. But then there's a scene in the movie when Forrest and Jenny are reunited and they go to that house, that childhood home that Jenny lived in where she received her mistreatment from her father. And this is what happens.
have you ever felt like Jenny? Just so fed up with the injustices that have been done to you, yet there just aren't enough rocks? Finding yourself longing for justice, but it's nowhere to be found? Or maybe you haven't felt as strongly as Jenny, but you look at this world and you see all the evil and injustice and or you know of a friend or a spouse or a family member that has gone through terrible and horrible injustices and can't help but long for it, for everything to be made right, for everything to be made new. Have you ever wondered if God truly carries out his justice? And if he does what it looks like? These are the two questions that our story answers for us this morning. You see, our story begins with this guy named Naboth. And now, let me tell you about Naboth. He was a good and faithful Israelite man. I mean, he's the neighbor that we would trust with our spare house key, right? I mean, he's the guy that you would let house sit in your house. Because this summer, we've learned, if, whether you're starting with us this morning or have been with us in this series, we've learned that Israel... God's people have not been following Yahweh the way they were supposed to. But not Naboth. He was a faithful man in an unfaithful nation. And this man had a vineyard. And this vineyard, it wasn't just your ordinary vineyard. I mean, it was passed down from generation to generation. It had been in the family for a long time. You know, like that family lake house, right? Or that family house or that one dish we all have to eat on Thanksgiving or that name that's been in our family for forever. This is what this vineyard was. I mean, it was there. And it was in a prime location. I mean, it was in Jezreel, the place where Ahab built his palace. And so Ahab eventually, you know, walking by it probably a few times, wanted it, desired it. And so, you know, he goes up to Naboth and is like, look, man, let me propose, you know, a little offer with you. How about you give me your vineyard and I'll give you a better one for it, okay? And if that's not enough, if that's not enough, I'll give you some money, right? I'll give you some cash, you know, and, but this is what Naboth responds in verse 3. The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. Naboth says no to Ahab. And he does so because Naboth's ultimate allegiance is to God and not to some political figure like Ahab. Did you notice that Naboth said that the Lord forbids me to give up my vineyard? Because according to the laws that God had established for Israel, all land, all land belonged to God. And when land was given to families, it was, it was for the purpose of staying within that family. It wasn't to be traded or given away. And so it's not that Naboth didn't think Ahab gave a good offer, you know, or that he thought it wasn't a fair deal. But it's because Naboth was committed to Yahweh, his God. But Ahab was furious. 
And, you know, we've learned throughout this series that Ahab is not a good man. I mean, we've learned he's one of the most evil kings that Israel has ever had in its history. And he was so angry that he went home, laid in bed, and refused to eat. Like, really? Like, the, suddenly the king of Israel was acting like a child, right, who doesn't get what they want. And he threw a little tantrum just because someone told him no. But that, how pathetic was that, right? But then comes Jezebel, folks. Don't wait for it. Jezebel, his wonderful, wonderful wife that we all love. I mean, and she saw her husband there eat, refusing to eat, laying in his misery. And she's just like, dude, what is wrong with you? Why are you acting this way? And, you know, he tells her, well, you know, like, Naboth said no. You know, I wanted that vineyard, but he didn't let me. You know, he said no to me. And she says in verse 7, do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I'll give you the vineyard of Naboth, the, Je the Jezreelite. I mean, Jezebel basically told Ahab, listen, honey, you like rule the world. I mean, you have all the power of this nation. So you know what? Let me take care of it. Like, I got you, baby. Don't worry about it. But you see, friends, a misuse of power always, always, always causes an injustice. But Jezebel devised a plan to get Naboth's vineyard, and she wrote letters in Ahab's name. And set them off with the elders of the day and the messengers. And this is what she wrote in that letter in verse 9. Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And set two worthless men opposite him. And let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Now a little background here. Kings proclaimed fasts when they sensed that someone committed an evil act and needed to ask for forgiveness to avoid God's judgment. Do you catch the irony here? Jezebel is going to deceive all of Israel into believing that Naboth cursed God and the king and that he deserves judgment. So, these elders and the men... They carry the letters and did what Jezebel told them to do, even though they knew it wasn't right. Because an obsession or desire for power causes us to do whatever it takes to obtain it. Even if that means acting in the injustice. But these men brought a charge against Naboth, saying that he cursed God and the king. And they took Naboth out of the city and they stoned him to death. Naboth. This innocent, faithful, good man, dead. He didn't deserve this death. He didn't do anything wrong. Yet, Jezebel goes back to Ahab and tells him, look, honey, I did what I told you I was going to do. That vineyard is yours. Now go take possession of it. Go get it. Doesn't this just make you boil? I mean, it should. I know it makes me angry. But 
But what is God going to do? And not only what is God going to do, but where is he? God saw all that took place. And verse 17 tells us this. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. And behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. What a statement, huh? I wouldn't want dogs licking up my own blood. And you see, we haven't seen Elijah since chapter 19. But now he's back. And he's made his great entrance to do what Elijah could only do. And that is confront Ahab. Why? Because God sees every evil and every injustice. And there will be justice for Naboth. You know, Elijah was that person that if we saw him, right, we would know it's because we did something wrong. Or we would just know that we, we were in trouble. And I don't know if that was your mom for you. I don't know if that was your dad or a friend or a family member. But Elijah went to Ahab, and Ahab saw him from a distance. And look at what he calls him in verse 20. Have you found me, O my enemy? Elijah answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. I mean, Ahab knew that seeing Elijah meant one thing and one thing only. It meant trouble. And Elijah delivered the word of God's judgment that Ahab and his family will no longer be. And friends, in those days, leaving a legacy was, a, was key, which is why having sons was a huge deal because they were the ones that kept the family line going. They're the ones that kept the ancestry alive. Without the family name, it was almost like the family had never existed. But because Ahab provoked God to anger and has caused Israel to sin. And because of this great injustice towards Naboth, Ahab was going to die. And along with his family and even with Jezebel, dogs will lick up their blood. Justice will be served. Right? The justice we've all been longing for for Naboth. The justice we've been longing for in this series. I mean, Ahab... Come on already. He deserves to die. He's led a whole nation away from Yahweh. But after Ahab heard his impending fate, verse 27 tells us that when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? 
Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. Ahab put sackcloth, fasted, and laid in sackcloth, which indicated some form of surrender. It was the practices that they were involved with to indicate repentance. And God saw that. And because Ahab humbled himself, God will allow Ahab to have a son keep the family line for one more generation. But he will wipe out Ahab's line if his son, he will. But God's judgment would be delayed because God never rejects a person who repents or surrenders. So what's the point? What are we to take with us this morning? Let's go back to those two questions. Does God carry out his justice? And if so, what does it look like? Our story teaches us that the answer to those questions is this. God does carry out his justice, but often in a way that doesn't make sense to us. Justice is served, but it's not always apparent to us. I mean, throughout the story, we saw how an innocent, God-fearing man was killed for no other reason than telling someone no. And Ahab, Ahab threw a pity party for himself. And we saw how Jezebel took matters into her own hands and made sure that Naboth would be killed, and he was. But friends, God sent Elijah to confront Ahab and gave both Ahab and Jezebel their due judgment. In the next chapter, 1 Kings 22, verses 29 through 40, Ahab does die. And his blood is licked up by dogs. And in 2 Kings chapter 9, Jezebel does die. They do receive their impending doom and judgment. But we've also learned that in our story, because Ahab humbled himself, God was going to let one of his sons live. And God's judgment was delayed because God's justice is not our justice. God's justice is not our justice because God's justice always includes mercy and grace. I don't know about you, but that just bothers me. This passage is so hard to preach and was difficult to prepare for because I wanted God to just strike Ahab dead right then and there. I mean, he and Jezebel killed an innocent man. They deserve to die. And if we're honest with ourselves, don't we feel the same? I mean, some of us in this room have experienced horrible injustices. Some of us have witnessed terrible circumstances. And some of us currently have to deal with the ramifications and the consequences of the injustices that are done. And we hear of evil and injustice all the time, asking God, God, where are you? 
Where is your justice? Why haven't you acted, God? Why does it seem like you're not just? Why does it seem like evil wins all the time? My friends, Jesus' disciples had those same exact questions. I mean, they were waiting for their Messiah, the ones that the prophets had spoken of and promised. Because they thought that their Messiah would come and conquer, defeat their enemies, and that Israel would be a powerful nation again, that they would rule. But we all know that their Messiah came as a newborn baby, vulnerable, and needing to be taken care of. And as Jesus went out to, to do his ministry for three years, we knew that he kept telling his followers, I'm going to die. He told his people, I am going to die, and they didn't understand that. If you read in the Gospels, every encounter, they're confused. Yet Jesus went down the Via Dolorosa. He went down the way of pain and was beaten. And God's justice was carried out through the death of Jesus. So that ultimately when Jesus' blood, the truly innocent one, can carry and cover all mankind. Taking upon himself every injustice, every hurt, every frustration, every anger, every tear, every surrender, every repentance. So that through his death, you and I this morning can be justified. The disciples didn't get it. And I know that we don't get it. But God's justice is not our justice. And the road to justice is long because mercy and grace are always on that road too. But God does and will carry out his justice. No one gets away with evil. Absolutely no one. Even if it does seem like justice doesn't, hasn't prevailed, or even if we never get to see the justice that we long for in this life, God is always just. And he always, always, always will be. So what do we do? How are we to live in light of this truth? First, we are to care about the injustices in our world and act. One of my professors at Trinity, Jared Alacantra, put it this way. Keeping silent about injustice does not resolve it. We as God's ambassadors and representatives in our places of work, or our places at home, our places of influence, we are to care about the injustices that affect the people in our lives, our neighborhoods, our jobs, our city, and our world. And I know it's easy to be apathetic. I know I've been there. Especially if you don't personally feel the weight of injustice or haven't experienced some of these injustices in your own life. But we are to care. We are to care because God cares. And not acting is just as wrong as committing an injustice. Not acting says that evil is good. And Martha Luther King Jr. put it this way. He who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetrate it. 
He who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. And we saw how God was provoked to anger because of the injustice done to Naboth. And friends, let me tell you this morning that God is angry when you and I experience injustice. He's angry. But he doesn't just get angry. He acts. And we are to act too. And acting sometimes looks like listening and learning from people who experience injustice. Sometimes it looks like stepping up and speaking up when you hear a family member or a friend talk about another ethnic group or another gender or another class in a wrong way. Sometimes acting looks like calling evil what it is, evil, and not calling evil good. Sometimes it looks like standing up for the people we usually like to make fun of or the people we like to judge or disregard or not even name. Sometimes that looks like confronting others when they say or do something that we know isn't right. And sometimes that looks like letting yourself learn from and be taught by others who are different than you, who come from a different background, who come from a different place of life, who come from a different social economic status, who come from a different gender, different denomination. Because God cares about the injustices that take place in our lives and we are to care and act. And second, we are to look for the ways God does carry out justice and long for it. A friend of mine this week challenged me when she said, we usually find what we are looking for. And I know it often seems like justice is not being served or that God doesn't carry it out. But my challenge for us, for you and I, would be to try to look for the ways in which God does carry out his justice and to continue to long for it. How God delayed his judgment for you and I. How on our roads we recountered mercy and grace so that this morning we can stand in right with God, so that this morning through Jesus we can be justified. His justice is not our justice because our justice usually involves vengeance and retaliation right now, doesn't it? And we know, we know that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And friends, one day, I can't wait, one day God is going to make everything right. One day all Things are going to be made new. And we wait, hoping for that day where every evil, every injustice, every sickness, every death will no longer be. And all things will be made new. God does carry out his justice, even if we don't understand or see it in this life. So friends, let us care about the injustices that we see and hear of, and let's act. And let us look for the ways that God does carry out his justice, and let's long for it, knowing that one day all things will be made new. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you because you are just. You are faithful. You do see everything. Nothing can be hidden from your sight. You are merciful. You are gracious. And we thank you, Lord. Lord, help us to be your ambassadors in this world. Help us to call evil, evil. Lord, help us to see how you're working in our lives, even when we feel like you're not. And help us to trust you, knowing that your plan is always greater than ours. And as you extend mercy and grace, and as you never reject the persons who surrender, Lord, may we be people who extend your mercy and grace and don't reject the person's repentance or surrender. And that we would be known for how deeply we love. We thank you for speaking. And we thank you for the work that you're doing in each and every one of our lives this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.